say praise the Lord. I am, I probably shouldn't say this because every time I say this, <laughs> say it, don't say it, don't. I'm not going to be long. <laughs> I won't be long. Um, at least that's my intent. Um, but uh, let me ask you a question. Um, how many of you are attending an Oikos right now? Oikos Care Group, that's what we used to call them. Actually, way back in 1982, they were, <laughs> they were neither Oikos nor care groups. They were what they called cell groups. Anybody remember that term? Amen. That's uh, when Bishop initially uh, got the revelation of the care ministry, which he called in those days um, cell groups. And how many know that your body is made up of cells? Anybody have any idea of how many cells? <laughs> Millions of cells, skin cells, um, hair, all of that. Um, just here in the past uh, week, I believe it was last week, we had a, a um, I don't know that you would call it a conference, maybe a seminar um, on the, uh, about the care group cell ministry, Oikos meeting, depending on um, what you're calling it at this point. Uh, but in 1982 and 83, um, I think in 83 is when I first, I believe it was 83, that I attended my first um, cell group. And I want to talk to you about them for just a little bit tonight. Is that all right? Um, I don't know if you realize it or not. Hopefully you do, especially if you're hosting a small group in your home. You are a very privileged person. Oh, at least a couple of people feel that way. You know. <laughs> It was such a awesome privilege to be able to host uh, a a care group. In the very beginning, um, I we were just recently married. Uh, we didn't really have we hadn't we were living somewhere, but it wasn't our apartment. Um, and I believe my first cell meeting was in your brother's home, Sister Diane, in Daryl's basement. And uh, I don't know 
what people, how. I really haven't been in a lot of discussion with anyone about the care groups. But back in the day, if you weren't involved in a care group, you missed the bus somewhere. <laughs> Everybody was involved in the care groups. If I'm not mistaken, it got to a point to where the attendance in the care ministry during the middle of the week was more than the attendance on the Sunday morning. Not only that, uh, but what we just did by way of worshiping um, doing an offering. Back then, um, every care group or cell group took an offering. It was mandatory. Probably shouldn't use those terms today, but <laughs> that's what it was. And that offering was the largest offering of the week. And the reason why I say that is because, well, I'm going to jump just a few years. Um, Brother Ron Richards, how many of you know Brother Ron Richards? There's a few of you that raise your hands, but you really don't know Brother Ron Richards. Um, if you knew the Ron Richards that I know, he would never walk to a door and the door would remain closed or have to open it himself. I know you see a somewhat frail, older man today walking the steps and doing his best to get to where he's going, but he was probably one of the most powerful men Scripture says to give, to give honor to whom honor is due. And, and I realize the great majority of you, you don't know him like I know him. And some of us that have been around for 30 plus years, we understand who he is. Amen. Uh, just a personal testimony just to show you how powerful and effective he was, we were having a care group. He came, he was my C-100, and uh, he came dressed in a suit to, to, to my home because he had two other preachers who came from Michigan, and they were coming to, to scope out the ins and outs of the care ministry. Well... <laughs> In those days, the only way to get the job done was prayer and fasting. And Brother Richards believed in prayer and fasting. He came to my home at that time an hour early and dressed in his suit. And I'm thinking, man, Ron, you're really overdressed, you know. <laughs> and he walks over to a, 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 a shelf in, we had in the living room and I had some family pictures there, pictures of uh, 
my side of the family. Um, he had never met my mother. He has never met my father or my sisters or brothers, none of them. But there was a picture there with all of us in the picture. And he walks over to the picture and he, he starts inquiring. He said, who is this? And I tell him, he said, who is this? And he says, who is this? All the way through the picture. And I'm thinking, where is he going with this? And show you how powerful he was. He says, anybody have family drama? <laughs> Come on, you can raise your hands. I'm not going to tell. <laughs> family drama? He looked at the picture and started pointing out relationships. He says, you got a problem with this one? You need to get this straight. You got a problem with this one? All the way down the line. And he says, and got to my father, and he says, that's the start right there. And at the time, me and my dad, we were, we were kind of strained relationships. But he sat there and picked that picture apart. In the Holy Ghost. You talk about scary. (laughs) You know, there's a term that he used to say, he was scary good. (laughs) He was scary. And at his direction... Each one of those relationships, I saw God fix. And before my dad passed away, we were at our best terms. But I want to talk to you about these, 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 these care groups here for just a minute. You remember the two men I told you about that were with, that came to inquire about the care ministry? After that night, well, the night that they came, it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night. And, uh, you know, when your oversight comes to to check your, your care group out, you talk about everybody shaking in their booties, at least I was, you know. Much less, why are you bringing these guys to my house? You know, there are other care groups that surely they're doing a far better job, but you brought them here. And immediately I start praying. I'm like, Lord, we got to have a move of God tonight. You got to do something awesome tonight, God. And in the middle of that prayer, The Lord spoke to me. He says, it's not that we didn't have a move of God before, but I put myself under so much pressure to perform for these guys, the Lord had to calm me down. The Lord says, just do what you normally would do. Don't add to, don't take away from anything that you would normally do in your care group. And in that particular night, the Holy Ghost really blessed and ministered to those two men. 
so much so that for a couple of years, a couple, three years, everywhere I went as far as a conference or a meeting of, on that magnitude, I would hear somebody go, Brother Middleton, Brother Middleton, Brother Middleton. And I'm like, who in the world are you? We came to your house for a care group back in uh, 1984 or whenever it was. Don't you remember Brother Richards? With it? Man, and this is why I want to say this. They said the reason why we came is we didn't believe that God would move in a home. We thought it only happened in church. We were blown away at the presence of God that filled your home. You don't understand, Brother Middleton. This doesn't happen where we're from. What I'm trying to say is sometimes I think we are taken for granted these. We don't really understand where we are. You know, it it got to a point, Brother Spriggs, folks would come and say, well, Brother Middleton, I'm going to bring him to church and we're going to pray for him. And inside, I would be jumping up and down. No, no, no. Pray for him there on the spot. Right there in the middle of that situation. Don't bring him to church. In fact, if you're bringing people to church. Oh, God, here we go. If you're bringing them to church without introducing them to Jesus, you're not doing them The best place for them to experience God is in your home. I'm talking, I'm not just talking about singing and worshiping. I'm talking about a move of God in the home. I'm talking about miracles in the home. What we bring to church. We did in the home. The first notable miracle that I personally was a part of, you know where it happened? Didn't happen here on the hill. It was in a home. We were having a care group in the home, and man, some strange people come together. I mean, really strange people come, you know. They come with all kinds of needs. And this lady comes in, and she had been coming for a couple of weeks, and we had noticed that she was, you know, kind of sickly or whatever, but we didn't know really what the situation was. And we noticed that she had some swelling under her her um, jaw here. And we were trying to keep an eye on it, and finally she asked us to pray for her. In the care group. And so we made a little circle around her. And me being the the leader of the group, I just stepped right up and I said, In the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. I was scared to death. 
I walked to that woman and I took both hands, Sister Diane, just like this, and put them under her jaw and prayed a simple prayer. Not one of these, just a simple prayer. And while I had my hand on her jaw, the swelling went down in my hands. Bishop wasn't there. Brother Richards wasn't there. It was just me. And I just did what I thought I was supposed to do. But it happened, Brother Rumchek, in the home. <laughs> if you have the opportunity to have a care group in your home, you should be running and jumping and shouting at the potential that God has placed there. A few, I guess it was, Where's Bethany? When did um, the neighbor pass away? How long ago was that? Excuse me? Six or eight weeks ago. Um, in our, we don't, at this point, we don't have a care group in our home. Um, we have a midweek service that kind of doubles for a lot of things in deal. We're working through that. But in my neighborhood, um, we have made a few contacts. Wonders what a dog will do. They didn't like me, but they loved my dog. <laughs> and uh, this middle-aged guy, he finds Bethany. Bethany's walking the dog and he runs up to him basically and says, I have stage four pancreatic cancer. I'm dying. And she comes home and she tells me about it. I'm like, well, did you pray? And of course she did. But as things went on, we were kind of looking for an opportunity, my wife and I, to kind of get into his home. Um, but we couldn't find that avenue. And uh, one day we're standing out in the yard. My wife, if you know my wife at all, she, she, she loves to do flowers, okay? She's, and I just let her do her thing. I had my fill of flowers when I was a kid. That's what we did when we got in trouble, discipline plant flowers. I don't want nothing to do with that. Traumatized. <laughs> but she's out there. She's, she's doing her thing with her flowers. And this couple comes shuffling down the sidewalk. And when I turned, he's right here. And he, when I realized who he is, here comes Sister Middleton. Everybody thinks Sister Middleton is this shy, quiet, you know, she just minds her own business. She does, you know, 
She walks in, gloves on, shakes the duck, gloves off her hand, and says, we've been wanting to meet, we've been wanting to get with you. We've been trying to get with you so we could pray for you. Bethany told us about your situation. We want to pray for you. And immediately she says, now, come on. You just don't invite any and everybody in your house nowadays, right? At least that's the climate out there. Sister Middleton says, come on in the house. Snatches him by the hand and drags him to a seat. Sit down. We're going to pray for you. (laughs) I'm thinking, where did my wife go? (laughs) The reason why I'm telling you this is because this didn't happen in church. This is not happening in church. This is happening in a home. We didn't know anything about the situation other than the fact that this guy was, you know, he was terminal. He was going to transition. And we find out later that he had been struggling, which is understandable, struggling about leaving his wife and his kids and what have you. But as he was walking around the neighborhood, his wife noticed that he was weak, he was tired, says to him, "Uh, do you want to go back? You look like you're tired. He says, no, no, I'm going to go all the way around this time. And that's where he met Sister Middleton. She drug him in the house, prayed for him. I wish I could tell you that God healed the guy. That would be great. But he died. We went to his his celebration of life um, ceremony. Um, it was on a dock. It was the first time that I had the opportunity to see how people who really don't have a connection with God, this is how they did it. And they're out, they're out on the dock doing what they do. And I'm thinking, wow, okay. And his wife comes over. She's got tears streaming down her face. And she tells me, she says, I told your wife earlier, but I'm going to tell you. She says, up until the time that you invited him into your home. Says, when you invited him into your home. This, you got to understand, this is the first, first and only time that he was in our home. When he sat down on the chair, his wife says that he said there was a peace that settled over him. And from that moment on, she says, the struggle was gone. You don't know what you're going to face when you begin to connect with people outside of this. It'd be wonderful to tell you that God's going to heal them all, God delivers them all, but there are going to be some that, you know, I got a little Indian lady at the 7-Eleven. That's my my little watering hole. She says, I want a baby. Pray for me. Guess what? I prayed for her, and guess what? She has a baby. But 
But this is, this is stuff is not happening in the building. If you have the opportunity to have a meeting in your home, I was thinking about this today. What did Jesus tell Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus. He was in the top, in the top of a tree. A little guy reaching high. He's reaching high, and the Lord says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house today. If you're Holy Ghost filled, Jesus is at home with you. And if you have the opportunity to have a care group ministry in your home, there is an open door to introduce them to Jesus. Oh, man, the conversations we have on the sidewalk, they would probably never come into this building. But, man, when I go on the sidewalk, it's like, if you were in my neighborhood, you'd probably think we were celebrities. (laughs) Only a few of them know our name, but they know us, and they know of us. Does this make any sense to you? I, I'm just, I'm just kind of excited for where we're getting ready to go. I'm kind of excited where some of us are. You ever thought? You know, we think about how many wants to see the miraculous. What do you think the atmosphere has got to be like to experience the the miraculous? You ever thought about it? Does it have to be in lights? Does it have to be a great announcement? I believe it's in Matthew chapter 14, I believe it is, where Jesus fed the the, the 5,000. I wonder what that day was like, Sister Diane. It was probably like any other day. There was nothing special about that day. And Jesus is moving compassion. He sees the multitude and he wants to feed them. And he tells the disciples, you got anything? And I believe it's five loaves, two fishes, whatever it was. And Jesus Blesses it and breaks it. I wonder what that felt like in the disciples' hands. Did it feel like a miracle? Did it feel powerful? Were they shaking as they were breaking that bread and passing it out? Oh, I feel the power of God. You think that's what it was like? I don't think so. As a matter of fact, I was talking to Brother Gross this morning. I think many of us have experienced miraculous and didn't recognize it. Because we were looking for this sensational thing. I can tell you today, I experienced miraculous many times, but it took me 
35, 40 years to realize what it was. And I'm looking back at how in the world did that happen? The only way that it could have happened is what that God took it, blessed it. Brother and Sister Gross is home initially coming to church. <laughs> I don't, they, they must be crazy because after church, they would invite 10, 15 people over to their little, what is it, two-bedroom apartment, Paul? There's no place to sit, you know, trying to be, you know, right, you know. You'd almost be sitting in somebody's lap sometimes. But come on over. And again, this happened not in church. This happened in their home. What are we going to eat? Well, we got a chicken. We got one chicken and maybe a pan of cornbread. Fifteen people go home full. Fifteen people laid out. You ever ate a good meal and went to sleep? That happened every Sunday. But understanding today what really happened God, how, how did you take one chicken and a pan of cornbread and lemonade and put everybody to sleep? The only way that I can even begin to grasp it is the fact that God blessed it. And we experienced that in brother and sister Gross's home. I wonder, I wonder if we're missing it. We bring all of our would-be miracles to the church house. And the Lord says, I want to go to your house. I think we're missing it, Brother Mallory. We, now, I'm not trying to do away with the church house. But I think the Lord would much rather be at your house. <laughs> There's a friend of mine who doesn't come here anymore. He's still a believer, I believe, but he doesn't he doesn't attend here any longer for whatever reason. Uh, we were very good friends. But the things that he would do, he was kind of a an awkward kind of guy, kind of tough to be around sometimes, but he loved God, and that's all I needed to know. And uh, at the time, uh, my wife and I, we were living in a two-bedroom apartment. He had no place to live, and he lived with us. And we had some friends that lived upstairs, and they went out of town. And can you believe it? We didn't have a phone, and we needed a phone. And the only phone that we could use was in their apartment. And they were gone, Brother Spriggs. 
How do you get in their home? I mean, we had permission. <laughs> we had permission. We just couldn't get in. So we were just kind of just hanging out. And uh, this friend says, well, I've had to go in to their home before. And I just used the key that I had. I said, that's the key to my apartment. That key doesn't work in that door. He says, yes, it does, in Jesus' name. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're, you're, you're being stupid. And so he takes the key. He says, come on, let me show you. He takes my key, sticks it in the door, and I said, move out of the way, move out of the way, and I'm because I want to find out if this works. And I'm messing with the key, messing with the key. And it does not, the door would not open. And this guy, he's kind of, I consider him kind of frail looking, you know. So, I mean, I, I got a little bit of bulk. I got a little bit. Of, <laughs> I, I, I still got a few bullets in my gun, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Get out of the way. He says, I can do it. I can do it in Jesus' name. I'm like, you in Jesus' name. You in Jesus. And he walks to the door, pushes me out of the way, just a rum chick, and he says, in Jesus' name. Psh, and the door flies open. Now, you can say what you want, because <laughs> I said what I wanted. <laughs> like... What's up with this? And this is not the only time. He's a different cat, but it, when it came to that sort of stuff, I was fixing my car, talking about experiencing the power of God. We didn't have any money. Couldn't afford to go to a mechanic, but I'm still his child. Bishop wasn't nowhere around. In fact, he wasn't even bishop then. He was still a pastor. <laughs> and I'm out here trying to fix my car, replace my starter, and I can't get it off. And this same guy, he says, I can, I can get it off. I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. Long story short, Sister Glendon, he leans over and takes that wrench that I had been struggling with for about 45 minutes. And he just simply said, he put his hand on that wrench and he said, in Jesus' name. I didn't know whether to run into the house or run to the church house or what. I just, I'm like, what is this? What? Why? And these are things that, I experienced not in this building, but out where God, you know, I had one person who says, well, you know, I'm becoming kind of critical. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. Just waiting for the opportunity to uh, talk to you about it. And he person says, well, I think I figured out my problem. And I said, what is that? He said, I'm just bored. 
how much of our interactions with people and the agitations that we go through and experience, it's just simply out of boredom. What do you mean, boredom? We, we talk a good game, but not very many of us are experiencing what we believe God is able to do. I wonder what would happen if you went to your watering hole and prayed for your uh, attendant, manager, whomever that's in that particular facility, prayed for that need, and God began to minister to them right there on the spot. That would change your attitude, wouldn't it? <laughs> you talk about bored, boredom, you're looking for somebody else to pray for now. I'm here to tell you, God's still working, folks. God's still working. But you have to be willing to step through the curtain. And I know, all right, I'm the one holding the mic. I'm the one telling the stories. And I know it might sound like, okay, Brother Middleton, give us the end. I don't know the inside track. The only thing I know is when I hear his voice, I try to obey it. And stepping through that veil, that curtain of obedience. You step through that curtain, act on it, rather than sitting back or calling the pastor. I'm not saying don't call the pastor. Hopefully you understand what I'm talking about. But God is still God. Last time I checked, he's still doing great things. He's still healing blinded eyes. He's still healing bodies. He's still God. But where is he doing this at? For me, the whole start of it was just in care groups. I tried to figure out a way to, uh, how do I want to say this, to preach this. I really want, I really wanted to. To just preach it. But it seems, at least when it comes to here, it's, I go to Baltimore and preach. Here, it's not that way. It's just, it's like, okay, Lord, what are you doing? I didn't come here tonight to try to bore you with stories. I came here tonight to tell you that God blesses ordinary people. You don't have to have a doctorate. 
you don't even have to have a high school diploma. All you have to have is a heart that's after him. And I know we all want to climb that ladder and we want to be the guy behind the glass desk. But last time I checked, there's only one glass desk. But inviting people into your home, I, I don't know the story firsthand. I didn't hear it firsthand. I heard it, you know, three, four hands down. How many of you know Brother Libby, Brother Ronald Libby? Part of his testimony was, you know how he became such a soul winner? He would just invite people into his home and say, you want to feel God? Man, what a, <laughs> what a tactic. <laughs> He'd just bring him in his home. says, you ever felt the presence of God before? No, what does God, what does the presence of God feel like? Come over to my house and I'll show you. And they would get in their room, get a circle, sitting, I don't know. But they would start worshiping a little bit, praying a little bit. And all of a sudden, <laughs> the presence of God would manifest in that room. What's that? You feel that? That's God. I've never felt his presence before. And what, what I'm trying to say to you is, at the, at the time, Brother Libby didn't have a congregation. He was just somebody loving Jesus. He was just somebody loving Jesus who had friends that he wanted them to be saved. He wanted them to experience the presence of God. Some of us, we're in this room, we're intimidated by teaching Bible studies. Can I tell you something? You may not be able to explain the Godhead. You may not be able to convince them about all the ins and outs about the holiness. But you can invite them into the presence of God. And when the presence of God comes in the room, let him do the convincing. There's one thing that I, whenever I was teaching a Bible study, I really didn't care snit about the, the Bible study. I really didn't care. I mean, I was there to teach, and I would teach, but my focus was if I could just get their attention and get them in the presence of God. And once they got in the presence of God, everything else changed. All of a sudden, when the presence of God would manifest, the, qu the questions became honest questions. They were honest, sincere questions. That was after they had experienced the presence of God. Just think back. 
your first time when you experience the presence of God. Just think back. What convinced you? And please, don't, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not telling you the word is not important. That's a given. But they need to experience him. Last story. Years ago, we held a, a tent revival. And I wanted to preach that revival so bad. But the morning of the revival, I woke up and my voice was like, I was mad because I wanted to preach. Man, I want to see my name up in lights. But I had to hand it off to somebody else. And they preached it. And I think it was like 15, 16 people got the Holy Ghost right out there in the neighborhood. This is not on this hill now. It's, um, one of those people was uh, Sister Ruth Mosley. I don't even know Sister Ruth Mosley. And Sister Ruth Mosley came walking down the sidewalk, saw the chair sitting there. She said her foot was hurting. So she sat down on one of the chairs just to get a break, and then she was going to continue her walk. <laughs> but she said when she, she didn't sit down on the end because she felt like somebody was going to come and, you know, try to talk to her. So, so she went and sat in the middle of the aisle. Now, this is her testimony. I'm, when you see her, you can ask her. She says, but when I went and sat there in the middle of the aisle, in the middle seat, says these two big black women came. <laughs> this is what she says. One sat on this end. And one sat on that end. And I couldn't get out. So while the preaching went on, she was trying to find a way out. But she was blocked in. Long story short, Sister Ruth Mosley gets the Holy Ghost. But the thing was... She wanted to know who were the two big black women that hemmed her in. I want to talk to them. I'm like, who are you talking about? She says, you, you didn't see them? I didn't see anybody. My wife didn't see anybody. Nobody knew who they were. They've never been seen since. Sister Ruth Mosley is still with us, but she's still searching because <laughs> that, that had to be, but 
And I tell her this, so please. She's like, Christmas time, she's got a family. I'm telling you about stuff that God will do off of this hill. It's Christmas time. She's got a family. She has no money. And I've been preaching to her, God can do anything. So guess what she says? She calls us Christmas Eve. Come over here. What is it, Ruth? Um, Tomorrow's Christmas. I have nothing for my children. You said your God can do anything. And I'm hemmed in now. Because it's 9 o'clock Christmas Eve night. And I'm thinking, oh boy. So, she says, I'm ready to pray. But I don't know how to pray. Show me how to pray. She sat on the floor. I can still see her in my mind's eye. She leaned on one hand, took the other hand, and covered her face and repeated verbatim what I said. It wasn't some religious prayer. She just repeated what I said. When she woke up the next day, her house was overflowing with all kinds of stuff for her children. I know you asking, well, how did that happen, Brother Middleton? God knew about her prayer long before she prayed it. And he had things in works already. They needed a car. Anybody need a car? I've seen God give away so many cars free. Sister Ruth Mosley needed a car. She says, will you, will you pray with me? I said, well, you can pray. And if you know Brother Sonny Gross, even Sonny wants a little bit of money, right? Those of you that know Sonny, you know what I'm talking about. But he had a car that was going to salvage. But he had the title for it, and it was running. And he gave me the title. He said, here, give it to him. I gave him the car. And you'd think, you'd think. I saw, it was a yellow Fiesta. Ugh. Who wants to drive that? But when you're in need, she needed that car. She drove that car. I gave her the title. They went out and got tags. The car was designated to salvage. It was supposed to go to salvage. Sonny ends up giving it to her. She drives that car for I don't know how long. She drives it to work, parks it. Her daughter jumps in it, drives it to work, parks it. The, the friend jumps in it, parks it. They do Saturday rendezvous with the car. This You would think this car was going to break down. They drove the car to the junkyard. The motor and the transmission was still going, but the car had cancer. <laughs> the 
The body was falling apart around the, the engine. But they drove that car for a long time. You say, well, Brother Middleton, what are you trying? Off of this hill, on this hill, sometimes we make him a religious figure. But off of this hill, he can be God. Does that make sense to you? In your home, he can be God. First time I ever prophesied, you know where it was? In a house. First time I really felt the anointing to preach and yielded to it, you know where it was? It was in a house. It wasn't, I wasn't sitting here waiting for my chance. It was in a house. And God blessed it. I'm going to make a statement and I'm going to close. Sister Steph, where are you at? Just kind of give them a little bit of hope, I guess. <laughs> what was I saying? Huh? Make a statement? I got my statement. Thank you, Lord. You didn't hang me out there like the pastor. The pastor had to wait a long time. There's so many of us we put so much effort in what we're doing. I'm going to make a statement and you're probably not going to like it. God doesn't bless effort. Some of you are working so hard and you're wanting God to bless your effort. He's not going to bless your effort because you work hard. The thing that he blesses is your obedience. And when you obey him, do it with all your heart. Then the blessing will be there. But if you're just just working hard, if nothing's happening, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm doing I'm doing. You know, years ago, my wife, she was a prayer warrior, and that's one of the reasons why I chose her. But she would spend hours upon hours, hours in prayer. Talk about seeking God. 
and spending time with God. She did that. But in that, she gave herself so much to prayer and she was, she was losing it. She was losing it. I know some of you in this room, you probably don't think that can happen. She was, she was losing it. It was slipping away. Because you can pray and not have the practical side down. And you pray, 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 and nothing's happening. And she went into counsel. And this wise woman of God told her, you need to back away for just a little while. Instead of staying in your room and praying, she says, get outside of your room. Find some people to interact with. Find some people that you can talk to. Find some people that need God. I know, Brother Middleton, that just doesn't, that just doesn't sit right with me. see where you are after 40 years I'm still here she's still here anybody want to experience the power of God I mean really I'm not talking about religion But if you want to walk with God and you're willing to obey his voice, I'm not saying you're going to get it right every time, but I I promise you that one time that you do obey, it'll carry you a while. It'll make you want to hold on until you figure out his voice for the next time. Oh, I've missed it far more times than I've hit it. Far more. But in missing it, I found out what not to do. Does that make sense to you? Does anybody want to experience God on that level outside of this building? Why don't you stand to your feet? I believe... There are some new, Brother Isaac, I believe there's some new care group leaders here. I believe there were some older care group leaders who were here last week. You're getting a renewed vision and passion for what this is all about. The Lord didn't tell you to build the church. He said he would build the church. But we've got to be willing to hear his voice. Oh, I know I told you it was the last story, but I did a wedding last year. I'm walking down the aisle. I got my little preacher suit on. I got my little black star book, minister book. I'm going to preach. I'm going to do this wedding. 
And the way they advertised the wedding, where it was, it sounded like it was in this big. When I get there, it's a mechanic shop that they have dressed up and made it into a, a hall for the day. I walk in the door, Sister Diane. There's booze on the right hand, beer on the left hand. And then they came to me asking me, can we partake now or do we have to wait? (laughs) This is just last year and I'm like, I got nothing to do with that. But I'm standing there with my little black suit on, my little preacher suit. And I'm in the middle of this disaster. And I'm thinking, how in the world did I get myself in this mess? God is nowhere around. Surely God's not here. I want out. So I began immediately. I'm going to get this thing over with and I'm out of here. I'm jumping in my car and they'll never see me again. I get the music get them to mute the music so I could do the ceremony and I'm going through the ceremony relatively quick but I'm going down the aisle got the groom on one side and his best man on the other and I'm walking down the aisle to this music stairway to heaven and I'm kicking myself all the way down the aisle I'm like Lord, how did you let me do this? Lord, you're not here. You don't want anything to do with this mess. I want out. But I got to finish what I started. And I do the wedding. And we're walking back up the aisle. And Frankie Beverly and Mays was playing. I was two through. But I got to the part in the wedding where he's talking about vows. How it's better not to make a vow than to make the vow and then break it. And I talked about the sanctity of of those vows. And all of a sudden, the presence of God just dropped. Boom. It fell in that room so heavily, it freaked me out. I was messed up for three months after. I am not exaggerating. You ask my wife, she's back there. It messed me up. Messed my theology up. What's Jesus got to do with this? What's Jesus doesn't want anything to do with this. I'm in the car. I'm going home. And I'm fussing. I'm talking to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, what in the world was that? that why? Uh, 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 uh. And this is what he said to me. He says, you made it a religious thing. I didn't. He says, you made it a religious. In fact, he says, this is just two families coming together. 
I think a lot of times we step into things looking at it one way and the Lord views it from a completely different perspective. And we don't think, where did God, where, where did Jesus show up first? Where did he show up first? At a wedding. And I thought, oh my God. So it caused me to look at weddings completely different. Especially if it's people of faith, that's one thing. But you see, these people, they weren't living for God. But they had an old grandmother, an old mother that had prayed for many, many years for her children and her offspring. The only way that I can have any peace of that God remembered this woman's prayer. And his presence filled that room. I'm telling you, in your home, you've prayed in that home. You don't have to do anything extraordinary. Just do the ordinary things. Pray, fast, study, love your neighbor, love your family. You don't have to do anything outlandish. Just love God. Open the doors to your home and watch and see if Jesus doesn't walk through and begin to touch lives. I hope I didn't bore you tonight. I feel like the Lord wants to touch some minds, touch some hearts here today because there's some doors that are going to open, homes that are going to be open people perhaps that would never come to hear me or pastor or even bishop but because you invited them into your home oh when you share a meal with someone what that means to them father I pray I did my best tonight didn't feel like you really wanted me to to preach this but to share Father there are those here today perhaps they are bored and they want to see Lord they want to see your hand they want to see you as you are in your power in your glory Father I pray for this people tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Hatayando boko You pray with me, will you? Pray with me right now. Come on. There were some of you trying to figure out where you fit. Trying to figure out where am I supposed to start. What about in your home? What about inviting the neighbor over? Just 
just for a cup of coffee initially? What about just reaching over the fence and saying, Hi. Come on, in the name of Jesus. Anybody available? Anybody available? Anybody willing? If you're willing to pierce that veil of obedience, just let him know, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll, I'll, I'll say whatever you want me to say, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, oh Robo Koto Robo Sianda la Rata Bahaya, Iala Rata Dala Labo Sianda Yala Labasa. In the name of Jesus. I don't know what the supernatural feels like to you. But to me, it's just an ordinary day where God just shows up and blesses the ordinary things that you're doing. That's all. There is no gimmick. There is no rabbit in the hat. It's just simple obedience. I love you, Lord. Give him an opportunity. Give him the opportunity to move, to minister in that setting. Don't be so locked down that you miss their needs that will be there that he will want you to minister to. And there is no right way or wrong way to pray. 
to make yourself available. Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I pray something was said here today that would cause seed, revelation, understanding, and willingness to sprout up in the heart of your people. Take this word, Lord. Take this sharing. And I pray, God, bless it in Jesus' name. love you, appreciate you, so excited for what God is already doing, but oh, when we begin to find our place in his kingdom, what he will do to the glory of God. Lord bless you. I said I wouldn't want to be long. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.